All right, welcome to Church Basics, episode number five. If you've made it this far, I want you to just give yourself a pat on the back because there's not a lot of people with the patience to sit and listen to me, of all people, uh, just go on and on about uh, church theology. So for you dorks out there who have made it uh, four episodes in to episode five, I think you deserve a big hearty congratulations and thank you from me. But we're now past the halfway point. This is episode number five out of eight. So we are beginning the downward slope. Um, this week we're going to be talking about the officers in the church. And I don't mean the boys in blue. I mean the main uh, official offices, the leaders of their church, who uh, give our church uh, direction and um, service. So um, this will be our last week to talk about uh, who leads the church, right? We began, uh, I guess now five weeks ago, talking about uh, what is the church and, and answering that question from from Scripture, and then we transition to answering the question, who leads the church? Uh, so then a couple weeks ago, we talked about, you know, the three forms of church government. We narrowed down into congregationalism, and this week we're talking about church leaders. So even in congregationalism, uh, if you if you tuned into the last episode, uh, you'll understand this. If you didn't, actually, I encourage you to go listen to that. Uh, before you listen to this one, I think it's going to help uh, help you understand uh, help you understand what limitations elders and, and deacons should have. But anyway, go go listen to that if you haven't. But um, how can you have uh, a democratic form of church government and congregationalism? You know, like church government for the people, uh, excuse me, by the people for the people, and then have church leaders. Um, well, Scripture is clear. Even though we have a congregational, uh, church-led form of government, we still need um, leaders in our church. We, we want to have a, a democratic form of church government where everybody is, is given a voice, everyone is given dignity, is a valuable member of our church, but at the same time, we can't have chaos, right? So uh, that's where our church leaders come in. So basic gist of what we're going to do today is, uh, number one, to identify those offices, to identify what the offices of the church are. Number two, to address the qualifications uh, to have those offices. Number three, uh, to talk about the function of those offices. So we'll go ahead and dive right in today to the offices of the church. Okay, so I guess it's about time to identify the offices of the church. Uh, we have three. Uh, Matthew's is near the entrance. Josh is down by the fellowship hall. Mine is uh, off to the side of uh, the sanctuary. Um, obviously, I'm kidding. Um, there are, count them, one, two offices in the church. Two offices. Um, that's what we, as a church, hold. Uh, those two offices are elder and deacon. 
should point out uh, that it hasn't always been this way. It hasn't always been this way in the church. Um, obviously, we've, we've already pointed out that a lot of churches have a uh, bishop, have bishop as an official church office um, in addition to these two, then they make up a ruling class of bishops that reside over the church that are beyond your uh, elder, deacon, that kind of local church level, but uh, supervise a number of churches. Um, and obviously with our, with our congregationalism, we, we, don't, we don't take that. And um, also, as we'll, we'll see, we don't see bishop as a separate office. Uh, some other groups, other groups in church history have also recognized other offices. Um, so some have added teacher as a separate church office, and that's even some people in our own tradition, right? Some, uh, some very early Baptist groups, um, some Mennonite groups have, have held that, where you have an elder who, who essentially is... Uh, ruler of the church, right? They are the ones who lead the church, and you have deacons who serve the church and teachers who teach the church, right? And those are mutually exclusive offices. Um, a lot of churches have ruling elders and teaching elders uh, whose, you know, specific functions lean more towards teaching or more towards ruling, but it's functionally, but it's the same office, right? Uh, it's, it's that of elder. Uh, also, um, some groups that today, you know, recognize uh, apostle as an actual church office. Um, this they understand to be uh, separate from those people who followed Jesus and were commissioned to take the gospel um, as, you know, one of the 12. Uh, but the apostle in this sense is someone who is like a church planner. He goes around uh, from from place to place and, and begins new churches, right? That's the office of apostle in these eyes. Um, we, however, hold to Two, count them, one, two. Um, may kind of wonder uh, what's going on, right? Are, are we right about this? Well, as far as scriptural support for having two church offices and that being elder and deacon, uh, we need to note this. First, the only two lists of qualifications that's given for an office in the New Testament are elders and deacons, right? Um, you have uh, overseer and bishop or bishop in, in Titus, uh, but... We believe that to be the same office as we'll talk about later uh, to elder. The only two offices that have qualifications um, are elder and deacon. Um, and also, the New Testament never lists uh, to any, you know, any, like, uh, and no letter from Paul to Timothy or anything like that uh, does anybody in the New Testament uh, specify need to identify other kinds of leaders other than elders and deacons. Um, there could have been, I, you know, frankly, we'll never know if there were, if there were other offices in the early church, we don't know about them. And we can only assume, uh, based on our, uh, understanding of the sufficiency of scripture that if, if it were the Lord's will for there to be more than two offices in his church, that we would, um, have some kind of record and command for that, but we simply don't. So we hold elder and deacon as the two offices. Now you may be saying at this point, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, I'm following you, but what about like an idea of, of pastor, um, also, what about bishop? You know, if, if uh, Titus lists qualifications for overseers for bishop, then what, what about those two ideas? Okay, well, 
We believe uh, that elder, bishop, pastor or all the same office. They're just different words uh, to describe one thing. Three words, one concept, right? Um, and so when the Bible speaks of an elder, it's kind of referring to someone who's wise. It's referring to a particular office, uh, but is emphasizing the fact that the person who holds that office should be wise and mature in the faith. Um, when it speaks of, of pastor, that comes from poimen, which is shepherd. And so a uh, pastor should be one who uh, shepherds and provides tender care and feeds um, feeds the flock that he has been put over. Uh, and then there's also bishop. Uh, in, in most of our translations, in, in our translation, the ESV that we use most commonly, that's translated as overseer. And that just emphasizes that uh, the one who holds the office of elder should be one who oversees the affairs of the church. So you have one, two, three offices and, um, excuse me, one, two, three descriptions, but only one office. Uh, so you put those together, elder, deacon, those are the two offices of the church. All right, so now we've uh, identified the offices. We're going to move uh, to the qualifications for those offices. Qualifications. Qualifications for elders and deacons. So, one thing we should ask first, um, why are there qualifications, right, for these offices? Um, I mean, you may think, well, obviously you need them, but it helps to ask why, right? Um, why would it be necessary to have qualifications and the office? Well, Obviously, first, uh, qualifications should give guidance to churches that bar um, members who are not quite ready to hold an office uh, from holding that office, right? Um, it should be for the betterment of the church so that the members who are spiritually gifted and who are, um, who are kind of uh, qualified through their... Um, through the shape of their character to serve, or the one serving, so that there's not harm done to the body. Uh, so that's that's the obvious reason. But also, uh, the qualifications of elders and deacons give us something tangible to hold one another accountable to. Um, there has to be uh, some kind of standard to hold your leaders accountable to, right? Um, so I mean in like the business world, most of the time, that's going to be job performance, right? It's going to be how well you're doing your job. It, it could be as simple as like, are you producing uh, the product that we require from you fast enough? If you're not, then you face uh, the prospect of termination. Well, um, as far as the office of elder and deacon, uh, elder especially, the emphasis is not so much on um, professionalism or, uh, 
skills or anything of that nature. Um, someone could be especially gifted in leadership, but not uh, be morally qualified. The emphasis there is on the moral qualifications of leaders uh, so that they are uh, able to faithfully and, and dutifully uh, fulfill their role without compromising the beauty and the integrity of the church in Christ. So uh, it, it kind of follows that model of, uh, as, as Christ said, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the world and forfeit his soul? In the same way, we do not want to forfeit our soul in per- pursuit of um, what we consider to be, by our own metrics, uh, excellence in ministry. But more importantly than something to hold us accountable to, uh, having these qualifications gives all of us, all of us, a target to strive towards. These, these qualifications that are given for elders and deacons are really... Um, a description of general Christian virtue, right? It's things that we should all be striving towards, that we should all be pushing for. And so as Christians, whether we occupy the office of elder or deacon, we should um, take seriously the standards that they're held to and hold ourselves to those standards. If, If we do not meet those standards, it's because the Spirit hasn't sufficiently worked in us that we have not uh, been sufficiently conformed to the image of Christ in those areas. Um, Not because we aren't trying, right? Or we're not aware of where we should be going. So um, just a note there. I I don't know where else to put this this little concept here, except for right here. It's the best place in the podcast as I have it planned. So I just want to mention this. Um, as we're all striving to live in, in the way that's described of elders and deacons, um, we uh, would do well to make note here that there is not an iota, not a shred, not a shred of qualitative difference uh, between an elder, deacon, or, and I'm, I'm doing some exaggerated air quotes here, if you can see me, I'm just really big air quotes, just members, right? Um an elder and a deacon uh, fulfill a particular role in the church, but they do not take a spiritually elevated status where they are worth more in the eyes of God because of their service as an elder or a deacon, right? And it does not make them qualitatively different at all from other members. I just wanted to put that out there. That is a very important thing to understand about the offices of the church that uh, I just need to mention. All right, so as I said, we're, we're talking about qualifications here, and the emphasis on these uh, qualifications, um, what, I, what I am looking at is, is scriptural qualifications, right? We have specific parameters put up for elders and for deacons. Um, we're going to begin with, with elders, uh, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to actually read some scripture. Uh, so I'm going to read the qualifications for elders as presented in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 7 through 9. Uh, so just listen up here as I read these to you. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, uh, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert, or he may be, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Um, also, here we look at uh, Titus 1, 7 through 9. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, so we look at those qualifications for an elder. I think we can kind of divide them into three general categories. Um, morality, maturity, and domesticity. Uh, morality, maturity, and domesticity. I know I'm pushing it. Uh, just bear with me. Um, but yeah, so in those, in those passages, we see um, a, a list of, of character qualifications that are given for elders, um, and they are repeated almost, right? They're very similar, very similar, which, which leads us to believe that Paul saw um, elder as a particular office with particular qualifications uh, to hold that office. And so when we divide those qualifications up, we get something like, number one, uh, morality, so there are some things um, that uh, are not things, right? Some things that we should not do, an elder should not do, uh, such as they shouldn't be arrogant, they shouldn't be quick-tempered or pugnacious or quarrelsome or violent or greedy, right? Those kind of actions are, um, are not the actions that we should be seeing from our elders, um, there also are some should things, some should things, some things that elders should be and should do. Um, so, for example, they should be hospitable. Uh, they should be uh, faithful to their marriage commitments. They should be sober-minded, right? These are things that an elder should be able to do. Um, uh, the overall thrust here is that an elder must be someone who exemplifies Christian character, right? They should exemplify the character and the conduct of Christ in their lives. Now, mind you, that does not mean the elders are perfect or that they should be held to a standard of perfection, um, right? We don't hold to like, a, you know, a perfectionism that the Christians at any given point are able to uh, overcome, you know, sin uh, in this present life. But an, an elder should be someone who is uh, very clearly pursuing those things and is very clearly demonstrating fruit in that area and, and should be a bit of a model for Christians. So you have morality. You also have maturity, right? Elders should be mature. So a couple of things that stand out there in that list. Uh, an elder should be someone who is well thought of by outsiders. Uh, you know, they should be someone who, who outsiders look at and they say, yeah, that that person, I may not agree with all of the things that they say, you know, they're, they're very, they're very religious. I uh, don't really care for all that, but they are excellent people. Um, and I can give testimony to that. Um, they should be able to teach, right? That does not mean, uh, as we will see, uh, that an elder uh, must teach just because they're an elder, but they should be able to explain, uh, 
the truths of the faith in an understandable way, especially especially things um, that are central to the understanding of our faith, like uh, the nature of the gospel, how that comes to us, how it's applied through the work of the Spirit, um, essential truths about God. Um, an elder should should be able to understand and explain those things. Also, they should not be a new convert, right? Um, so this is not a this is not a specific term. It is a general term, uh, but we get the thrust, right? Someone who uh, has been a convert for two years might might have enough maturity in two years to uh, become an elder. However, someone who uh, in the same in the same breath, you know, someone who has been a convert for two years, may not at all uh, be mature enough to be a believer. It's kind of subjective there, and, and thankfully Paul leaves a little bit of, of wiggle room there. Um, so uh, any, anyway, um, but they should, regardless, not be someone who is, is going to become conceited or puffed up, as Paul says. Uh, so note and this maturity section, I think this is the biggest difference between elders and deacons. Um, and that's because an, an elder as a leader of the church should be able to, uh, navigate difficult challenges in the church and the Christian faith. And it, it does take a mature Christian to do that. It doesn't mean of course that a mature Christian can't serve as a deacon and, or like the elder is like some elevated status above, above deacon. It just means that uh, Christian maturity is, is required to an even greater degree to serve through some of the, uh, difficult challenges that elders face. Um, last area that I called domesticity that I'm regretting as I'm saying it out loud, um, you know, like domestic. Uh, so there are, there are elements of an elder's, uh, life, his, his personal life, uh, that's his family life specifically, um, that relate to his ability to shepherd the church, right? Um, number one should be a husband of one wife. Uh, there, there is debate, there is debate on, that phrase husband of one wife because it basically boils down to man of one woman uh which if that sounds like really not specific it's because it, it's not uh and so like some people have said you know no one who has been divorced can be an elder or a deacon and that's just not we to say that we would also have to say um, to take it that literally, like to be to be husband of one wife means you have to be married to the first person you were ever married to. Um, to follow that like logic would mean that single people, single men, could not be elders, and that would exclude Paul and Jesus. So uh, we we want to have a little bit more broad, broader understanding here. Um, John Hammett has suggested that the base, the emphasis here is that, uh, an elder should exemplify Christian virtue in their home, right? It's not, it's not to say that there's like, that we should cancel anybody who has been divorced or anything like that. But, uh, anyway, so there's, there's that element. Um, also he must, uh, manage his own household well, uh, I, th I think that's in relation to the idea that in some ways leading a church is, is similar to leading a home, right? 
because as we've already discussed, we are a faith family, right? We have conflicts, we have love for one another, we, we care for one another, and it reflects a lot of the ways that we serve and love our families at home. So uh, that's, that's an important qualification there. Um, last thing to mention on this is that the officer of elder, um, the office of elder is, is limited to men only, uh, as we see in our confession. Um, I believe, I believe that this again is meant to uh, reflect the role that men play uh, in the homes that, um, as God has has, has given roles uh, both to men and women to perform in the home. Uh, the church, as a reflection of that, in some ways, uh, is is to be led by men the same way. Um, all right, but that is the qualifications of an elder. We can move now to deacon. So I'm going to read just one passage, same area in 1 Timothy. We'll go on, just pick up where we left off in 1 Timothy 3. Um, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives must likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. All right, so... I just, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on deacons here. I spent a lot of time on elders. And the, the reason it's not necessary to spend a lot of time here is um, because it's so similar to elders, right? Uh, the things that are required of deacons, um, they are very, very similar to what are required of elders as far as like character um, and, and, and that kind of thing. So the, big, the best thing to do here is actually going to be just to highlight the ways that deacon qualifications are, are different from that of elder. Um, number one, there is no qualification to command to teach, right? So deacons do not have the same responsibility. Paul says that they should hold the mystery of, uh, of the faith and clear conscience. And so they should be confident and, uh, in their understanding of the gospel. But that does not mean that they are uh, skilled in understanding it to the point where they are able to understand to explain and to teach uh, and to instruct in some of the more um, you know substantial parts of the faith. That's that's not a qualification. Many many deacons are able to do that. It's just not the same qualification. Uh, they should. There's there's no qualification on uh, not being a new convert, not uh, you know not being well thought of by outsiders. Those, those things are not required as well. Finally. Um, we don't believe that there is a male requirement. So many of you, it's likely, came from churches where there, there was a male requirement to be a deacon. Uh, we don't hold that here at Trace. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, so, I, frankly, we are 28 minutes into this, and I'm not sure that I have time to go through all of that. Uh, here's the short version. Um, when you see there in, in 1 Timothy 3, uh, there it kind of shifts uh, in verse. What is that? 
11. It says uh, in the ESV, their wives lust likewise must be dignified. But the word used there for wives is actually um, a word that can be either women or wives. And I don't know how to tell you this, but to tell you their, like as in their wives, just that word's not there in Greek. It's just not like, so a more literal translation would be wives likewise must be dignified. And to me, that's an indication that it's more likely to say women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so in other words, uh, you know, it's, it's, here are some lists, which is very similar, you know, uh, up to um, the the deacon qualification, verse 8. Very similar there for women. Uh, they must be dignified, you know, like not slanderers. That's really similar to deacons must be dignified and not double-tongued. Uh, so we find it likely to be um, that the reference there is, is for deaconesses. Um, also, you, you have... Uh, the designation of some women in the New Testament as deacon, as a deaconess, or you know, however you might want to call it. Um, just a little footnote here. Some people do consider deaconess to be a separate office. I don't know that our church has a, an official position on that. Um, I do not consider it to be a separate office. I understand. I understand where you have like qualifications for the, for the men and for the women there that they would be a, a separate office. I, I don't. I consider it to be, you know, kind of. Paul just reiterating the same thing there, um, kind of like we would talk about a waiter or waitress, but that's split in hairs. It doesn't really matter. Um, so all that is a, I uh, hope, hope that gives you a good idea about the qualifications of elders and deacons. Since I spent so much time on it, we're going to talk about the function of offices, of the offices of, of elder and deacon, but we're going to do it real quick. All right, we'll move on to that now. Okay, function of the offices. Elders teach and deacons serve. All right, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, we are going to go into a little bit more detail than that, but we're going to do it lightning speed because I know you should be basically familiar with, with the function of office and, oh, excuse me, the function of elder and deacon. Uh, so here we go. Elders, how do they function? So generally, um, Generally, I would think it boils down to teaching, uh, leading, and shepherding. And there's probably a better way to break that down, but that's the way we're going with. Number one, elders teach the church and they direct this doctrine. Um, that, again, does not mean that every elder must teach. It also does not mean that only elders can teach. But ultimately, elders are responsible for the church's teaching. Um, and that includes the responsibility to guard against false teachers. So the elders are responsible for what is taught in the church. The elders are responsible for directing the faith, the teaching, the doctrine of the church. Um, that is the responsibility of elders. Um, also, elders lead. They provide oversight for the church. Uh, so elders are responsible for a lot of specific things, right? They're responsible for the finances of the church, making sure that we're legal and that we're operating in good faith and that um, that the money that is given is being um, 
redistributed through uh, to righteous ends, towards towards the advancement of the gospel, towards the equipping of the saints, towards um, the relief of the poor. Uh, that is the responsibility of the elders. And that includes management of our resources in general, like even those things that are not uh, actual monies, but like things that the church holds as value, such as our building. Um, it is the responsibility of the elders to uh, make sure those things are used for, again, for, for those same things, for the advancement of the gospel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, deacons also should provide uh, direction for deacons uh, to, they, they set, you know, deacon roles up. They um, give you deacon specific guidance and instruction direction uh, that should come from the elders. Um, elders also are over the hiring and the guidance and the firing of staff members, right? Um, that is that's done by the elders, um, and then also elders are just responsible for more general, you know, just decision making that uh, occurs in the the life of the church, just things that have to be decided on. Um, Things like our COVID protocols, right? Those kind of things that that just come up. Uh, The elders are also responsible for providing vision and direction for the church, right? Even if you think, uh, okay, you know, I don't, I don't like the idea of of setting a vision, um, those kind of things. Okay, well, at a certain point, there is a responsibility on the church to do certain things, right? You know, to teach the word, to uh, to reach the lost. And do, okay, well, you have to ask the question at some point: How are you going to do those things? All right, that's what elders. Uh, that's what elders do. They provide a vision and direction for that. Um, last, elders should you know identify and train other leaders in the church so uh, that they can. Uh, direct the affairs of the church through other people um, as well. All right. And then elder shepherd. Uh, so this is a you know, big picture idea here. It speaks metaphorically to meeting the needs of the flock. Uh, this kind of leadership is more individual, um, you know, kind of private rather than public, right? It happens behind closed doors. It happens from family to family uh, rather than, you know, big picture stuff. There's routine shepherding, like uh, praying for membership, uh, checking in on you uh, from time to time. There are special times of shepherding as well, um, whether that means overcoming a particular problem or, or sin struggle, you know, aiding you in that, uh, praying for you in special times of sickness and pain, right? You know, like I think about like uh, James uh, saying to call the elders in to, uh, to anoint them with oil, to pray over them, uh, those kind of things. That That is a, uh, a special responsibility of elders. Um, support you in times of grief, you know, um, and in times where you lose a loved one or uh there's particular fear of losing a loved one or um, whatever it may be. Um, elders are to be there for you, support you in times of grief. Um, also, elders are to shepherd by, by financially supporting members who are struggling um, as, as best they're able to with the resources of the church. Um, all right. And finally, uh, the role and responsibility of deacons. Deacons are to serve, right? They, they, they serve in specific ways. Um, 
we, we don't have time. I have it written down um, here, but we obviously don't have time at this point to do much more uh, because this is already, I think, pretty much the longest episode we've had. Um, but we know of, of how deacons came about in the book of Acts, we'll look at later, um, and how they arose to meet particular needs in the church. Well, in the same way, in that same spirit, we believe that elders should meet particular needs, right? Um, so we just installed a few elders, or excuse me, a few deacons, uh, one, you know, a deacon of member care, one deacon of hospitality, and three, you know, deacon of finance, right? So those are meeting specific needs in the church. It doesn't have to be purely logistical. Usually it is, though. Um, I just want to say, though, it's really easy to miss how vital deacons are to a healthy church, right? Um, a healthy church should have healthy deacons, you know. Um, without them, there are particular, specific, even urgent needs that are missed by the congregation. So I'm so glad we, we took that step to, uh, to replenish our, our deacon body uh, this year. All right, so we have, actually, we really have we did it. We went speed mode on that. We've come to the end of this. As I do every week, I want to give you a particular challenge. This week, look through that. Uh, th- look through those list of qualifications for elders and deacons. I don't care if you are an elder or you are a deacon or you're not an elder or not a deacon. Uh, look through those things and identify uh, any of those areas you think. Hey, you know, if like if if. The elders called me today, called upon me to serve as an elder or a deacon. Um, What if this would prevent me from being able to do that, right? And and ask yourself, how can I grow in that area? Um, And let let me know. Let us know. Let us know if there's any way that we could pray for you and help you grow in those areas. I don't think it's incumbent or necessary that every person serve as an elder or deacon or anything like that. Um, I just mean to say that that is the kind of of virtue in Christian life that we should all be striving towards because they represent the quality of Christ and what he was like, how he lived, and how he calls us to live as well. All right, if you have any questions, email those to me, Avery at Trace Crossing. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day.